All right, hello and welcome to the Being Talking with Peak Performers podcast. On this podcast, we talk to peak performers in their field so you can then go perform at your best. Just before I start this episode, I want to talk to you guys about a new initiative that I've started and that is producing podcasts and content for business owners who want to have their amazing show and amazing content on the back end of it. I'll talk to you guys a little bit more about that at the end of the show. But for now, let's talk about my guest, Bill McClellan. Bill is an engagement strategist, talent analytics and leadership team facilitator. He's a managing director and leadership of engagement and we to the business. He found it from an obsession of empowering personal team and business performance so a peak performer in his own rights it was a really amazing show i loved having a chat with him so let's go bill hello tim thank you for coming on the podcast really appreciate it uh you are a marketing and management professional by trade you're, you're a coach done a wonderful thesis uh, and and do some amazing work with your clients. So that's my sum up of you. But for the people listening along that don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Tim. Um, yes. So what did I do? I, I guess like most people, run through a number of things in my life. Um, in fact, I call myself a specialist generalist and um, started my life in the mining game. Right. In industrial relations, uh, in the height of apartheid, um, you might hear from the strange accent. South African, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm an Aussie now too, so yeah. I'm a, a man of the world. Fantastic. If you can call it that. Um, and that's the beauty, I guess, of of being around and having been a bit of a global player. Is you, you bring ideas from other places yeah. and uh, and conflicts and and how they deal with it, and you bring them here to a place that is probably not as conflict based, and you try and kind of um, change the culture. Do you have a a bigger perspective on just even life as, as a whole because you've grown up or been or been in South Africa, like a country, you know, yeah, off the back end of apartheid and uh, a lot of things that go over there. And then you come to a place like Australia that is, we've got a lot of freedom, you know. So do you have a great perspective for... Such a such a provoking and prov- provocative kind of question. Um, absolutely. And um, probably the key thing that comes to mind is is, um, is gratitude. When you come from a country, I guess that is in many, many worlds deemed to be third world, when you in fact um, come to a world that is just so perfect as Australia is, um, you're reminded just the contrast and, and just how lucky this country actually is. And to the degree that it's lucky, I'd love it to stay that way. And that takes work. And um, I'm on a on a journey to make that happen, to make us respect this beautiful place. Yeah, fantastic. Because a big part of your ethos is about sustainability and and culture and and you know, bringing out the good of people, and and that's that's a big part of your work. Yeah. It is, Tim. Um, my my absolute get up out of bed. My why yeah. is literally that is make um make a a better version of people as best I can by influencing them actually see their, their best self. And uh, whether that be themselves, whether that be their team, um, bringing the best to the front and, and actually helping them see that because we, we're all inherently awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, um, I mean, the philosophical argument of everybody is innately good uh, comes to mind there and, and we, we pick up along the way or if we're pushed into situations, like then that's, that's where you would see a lot in third world countries. You've got crime, assault, theft and, and the reason that happens is because people get pushed. Would, would you, do you have anything to sort of say? 
Uh, I, absolutely. On that one, the, the point to make there, Tim, and I, I did write a thesis back in my heyday, and uh, it was on the conflict phenomenon in industry. And my aha moment there was sometimes in order to kind of defuse conflict, you've actually got to turn it up. Mm. And apartheid, in order to break apartheid down, apartheid needed something to change. And Nelson Mandela and the ANC at the time elevated the levels of conflict through what they did. It was deemed to be terrorism, but actually what it was is change agitation. Mm. Um, in order to change something, you've got to sometimes turn up the conflict. You can't shut it down. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's – uh, and the learning there ultimately um, I hope to bring here. You know, sometimes to, 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 go, into the, to go into the learning, you, you've got to actually feel a bit of pain. Mm. Um, but there's gain. So people – I believe, because um, I've taught, been taught it in sales training and everything, people are motivated by two, two core factors. Is it, well, you could say free, but fear and, and, and gain, fear and gain. What, 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 what am I going to miss out on if I don't do this thing or what am I going to gain if I, if I do this? And um, I guess the other, the other driver is altruistic, but, but the two core ones, are, in my opinion, are, are that. And, yeah, does that speak to what you're just saying, I suppose? I'm a very strong believer in the fact and or, or the view that, that altruism, just being good, uh, doesn't exist. We no. do good because it, in fact, reciprocates with us and, I guess, makes us want to do more good. And it's a virtual and a virtuous cycle. Mm. So, yes, I, I kind of subscribe to that, but I, uh, the fear makes you kind of go, well, I need to do more or, or I need to do something. And the gain is, well, if I do more, uh, it'll, it'll come back to me. But the focus isn't on what will come back to me. I oh. guess it's, it's facing the fear. The change creates what comes to you. Yeah. And, and you talked a lot about change and, and I was actually seeing a graphic in your office about change management. Um, it is a very interesting behavior where you get resistors, you get um, people, but people naturally, there's a swing of change management and how we adapt to change. When, when you're looking at a client who wants to go through that, go through a large amount of change. What is your advice? And then, yeah, let's talk about that model, that, that swing as well. So in that regard there, I guess I've become very aware of the fact that we have technology uh, at our disposal today. And um, I'm- uh, Look around us. Like, yeah, absolutely. All this technology. Now, in, in the heyday when, when someone needed a tune up, the parent would just give you a clip on the ear, right? That's, that's kind of how you might have been shown the right way or, uh, you know, the, the way workplaces used to be. The reality now is there's, there's analytics and there's ways that and, – and love to leverage those, those insights that you get from analytics, predictive analytics, behavioral analytics, the theory being you can adjust your behaviours. Um, your psychology is quite set, but your behaviours can be changed. So finding out what behaviours are working for you and what aren't and what habits you've built and got stuck in – and changing those and, and I guess amending those to me is what change management is all about. Mm. And it starts with the individual. You change yourself, you then start to change others mm. and others change the world. Yeah, fantastic. So for a manager who, um, who knows that there's a bunch of change coming this year, 2020, yes. um, how can they effectively communicate that change to their, their employees? The starting point, I think, for me on, on, on change of, of the order that we're seeing, and we know there's almost this, this avalanche of, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's an exponential curve of change. We, we're dealing with it. I guess if you look over the years and years and years, that exponentiality is actually just a little straight line. 
But to us, it feels like it's going straight up. You know, tech, AI, it's all coming in and it's going to take our jobs. There's fear, right? There's a lot of fear. The reality is, though, the one thing that AI has got years to go before it gets to us, in my humble opinion, is, is how to be a person in the emotional sense, in, in the sense that we've got wired in our DNA for, for thousands and thousands of years. That's mm. been a human. And um, as long as we have that there, we have something to play with. Uh, and if the AI or whatever it is takes it over uh, and we have to play in the space of working with each other to be, you know, IQ, EQ, EQ, uh, then um, we have a place to play. And that might be EQ tapping into AI. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about EQ? I actually haven't heard that. I know IQ is, is, is standard for intelligence. EQ is emotional intelligence. Um, what, yeah, what is EQ? Oh, thanks for picking that up. I guess he has, he has a, there's a behavioural uh, insight. I've become habitual in, in what I'm saying and, and, of course, we haven't spoken about it. Yeah. I guess the IQ, the EQ phenomenon kicked off in about the 1990s. Um, Daniel Goleman kind of wrote his, his, his seminal work and that seminal work became this, this huge surge of actually it's not just how smart we are when it comes to numbers and stuff. It's actually how, how well we show up ourselves. But um, I think the next, the, the next evolution of that is how we show up as integrators of people, how we plug into. We're seeing you know, all the challenges we have with technology, iPhone, phones, um, and how they change the way we work together. That's WeQ, uh, and where we become almost fixated sometimes on the WeQ through technology rather than the WeQ through face-to-face. And it's, it's, it's an entire dimension that I think we're going to get ahead around, the WeQ part of how we show up in that quotient, you know, that, that, that measure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So working more collaboratively, and, and that's where that's, I mean, for the last five years at least, there's been a lot of buzz and talk around teams, working as teams, open planned office spaces, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and that's kind of aligned with the WeQ philosophy. To- totally. Um, for, for what it's worth, um, one of the elements of what I do is, is engagement. So we talk about a technology of computers, being networked and a standalone computer is is arguably a standalone computer not very powerful you know when they used to kind of bolt a whole lot of computers together to get the supercomputing com- component out of them well the same applies to the network of people so if you've got a business and everybody's kind of an island unto their own um, if you can change the weq so that they understand the, the the synergy of togetherness then suddenly that that connection of people is engaged and in fact not only engaged highly engaged and professional sporting teams get this. You know, they're highly engaged individuals. All know where they're going. They know what the purpose is. They all know what they're trying to do. Um, and ultimately, that's that's I guess my aspiration is to try and invigorate businesses to see themselves the same way. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, we can all put together a team. We can all say, Sally, John, Bob, Bill, you go do this project. But if Sally, Bob, Bill, John aren't engaged, what's going to be the end product? It's going to be. It's not going to be good. So, how do you build an engaged team? Well, it's a good question. Um, the sage way of doing it in the past was we're going to go do a one-day rah-rah session, and it's called a cultural workshop, or maybe two days. We might make it two days, and we're all going to just go off-site. And what we're going to do is we're all going to stand and we're going to be kind of a speaker, and we're just going to chat through it, and we're going to put our five values up on the wall, and we're going to kind of tick on those. And then we're going to come back the next day and we're going to invigorate the culture. We're just suddenly going to be racing along. And I guess the aha moment for me was, well, that's never going to change. And it harks back to, I guess, my military days 
where I realized having gone through basic training where I was a civilian and had to then be turned into a soldier didn't take a day. It took an entire three months plus to, to readjust the habits and the behaviors to, to become a soldier. And in fact, that's really what you're doing when you build a culture. You're, you're building a, a cohort of people that I guess are galvanized by their togetherness. Um, and I believe that that has to be a, a fitness. It's, it's not just a one-off because otherwise you just go back to your old behaviors. It's a bit like a New Year's resolution. This is what I'm gonna do. The next day you've forgotten it and you're fatterer than you were or whatever it was you're trying to do. So what you gotta do is consistently work it, you know, the, the, the micro habits. Mm, definitely. The, the two day, one day workshop at the Rara, um, you know, they're excited for like a week and then, then there's nothing. So, you know, these workshops are good, but the amount of times even I've gone to something and then just, all you do is you come away with it, um, you just come away with notes and nothing else. And uh, yeah, that's, that's annoying because there's no practicality to that. So true. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's such a common thing come back with, with this um, huge desire to make a difference. You get thrown back into the dirty fish pond and uh, you're the only one who knows what to do because you're the one who's been schooled into what to do. The rest don't know. They don't know why you're doing it. They don't know why you're suddenly invigorated and suddenly you're expecting them all to just follow you. Um, when leadership is not about follow, it's about inspire. So how are you going to inspire a whole bunch of people that don't even know what you've just been taught, potentially, you know, our new culture, um, unless they've been on the journey too. Mm. So uh, bringing everyone involved into the culture, not just the leadership team. Totally, totally. And, and it's actually understanding what they want to be involved in. Now, what, what actually makes these people tick? What, what do you want to be recognized as or accoladed as, as an individual in the team? Are you about the money? Are you about the pat on the back? Are you about being given opportunities? You've got to know your people. And when you know your people, you can tick the boxes around what fulfills them. And when they're fulfilled, um, they're so much more engaged. They're so much more desirous of coming to work mm. and actually making a difference because that's why we come to work. We spend a fortune of our time here. That's my, my, yeah. my view on this thing. Oh, to your point, like we, we spend so much time at work and why not make it a place where we are fulfilling those needs? We are fulfilling our altruistic needs. We are fulfilling our self-actualization needs. And, and as leaders, I guess we need to have those conversations. One of, one of the things I admire in Gary Vaynerchuk is he, not just his marketing brain and his motivational brain, but he sits down with every single employee and says, what do you, what do you want? What do you want from here? And another friend of mine put it this way. He said, if you find out what others want, you'll very quickly get to what you want because if you can show them okay by doing this activity this is yeah do you have a comment on 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 instilling that motivation and having those chats with employees it has to happen tim it actually has to happen i guess it's the new way the new way is recognizing that it's not a tell world we live in anymore you know the millennials are often rebuked and, and abused for being this this uh you know highly demanding group of people uh, and yes, it is a big group of people, and I know it's it's, it's highly kind of just bucketing people into groups. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial. 
millennial. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's, it's just these hypothetical or these breakdowns of society yeah. into these But it's groups. the same. It's the same with boomers. Like there's the, the OK Boomer trend that's come out yeah. lately. I don't know if you know it. Um, um, no, no. You, you need to explain uh, that. So um, essentially on TikTok and on, on um, other platforms where boomers will um, say their opinion about something, and then it's brushed off as a joke to um, the, the younger generations. I'll just say, okay, boomer. Like, okay, <laughs> all right. It's like, you know. You calm yourself down. All right, oldie. Like, yeah. it's that, you know. It's, it's like, all right, like, um, you can have your opinion, but I'm, I'm going to mock it in a way. And, and it's the same if you go flip side to millennials and people calling uh, us lazy and entitled and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, look, there are some people that are lazy and entitled, and, but it's not the whole group. And that's the same thing with boomers. Like my dad will tell me things and I appreciate his opinion. Yes. My, my uncle will tell me things and I appreciate his opinion. So it's, it's just, it's one of those things that, um, it is used a wonderful word there, uh, Tim, and it was some people. Mm. And I think once we start to categorize everybody as you all are like this, you've just tainted everybody with the same brush, the tar brush. Uh, some people suggest that, yep, they're, they're going to be some that are lazy. There's going to be some that are going to have the smashed avocado or whatever mm. the... We can't afford houses because we're uh, having smashed oh, avocado. Yeah. You, you know, all these, the, absolutely. And, and, and so... Um, Moving away from the sum or moving, moving to the sum people is, is just so powerful. And uh, yeah, I, I guess that's, but, but I do want to touch on your comment about the, that mentality of, of knowing what they want, being highly kind of tuned into a world of, of um, individualized YouTube, literally their passion being followed through a YouTube channel or whatever it is, highly, highly clued up on things. That means that these people, that we call millennials um, are actually very, very cluey about what they want, and rightly so. So I think they should tap into that, find out what it is they want and how they want to contribute, and turn it up. And and before you know it, you'll have an engaged piece of uh, engaged person just smashing it out there because mm. they're actually kind of purposefully doing what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, and if they accord with your why and with their why, uh, yeah, my my uh, humble opinion is that that boat's going to go. You know, those people are going to be engaged. Everyone's going to be on that boat ready, rowing hard and enjoying the ride. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, now, I'd love to get a little bit of an insight in, into the work you do and then the results you get. And, um, yeah, do you have a, a particular client? Uh, you don't have to mention them by name, but but do you – or you can if you want to because uh, you'll give a shout-out to them. But you've um, you've done work with and it's like a really favourite case study or – or something you've done with someone that, that you sat back and went, I'm, I'm really happy with that? That's a good question, Tim. And I, I do have a case study like that. Um, I, I guess I use it to position um, what I do, the power of, of executive coaching, executive presence, team coaching, team presence, engagement. It's, it's actually the biggest, and I'll say this quite, quite, quite out there, the biggest seller of Mercedes-Benz in the world, the biggest retailer of Mercedes-Benz in the world is a family-owned business. Um, at this stage, I don't coach the entire business. There's 22,000 employees. It's a 20-plus billion dollar company. But um, 
the Australian chapter, if I could call it a chapter, it's not a chapter, the Australian kind of part, the Vietnamese part, um, have engaged me quite strongly in the last while to, to run predictive analytics on their people. Um, it sounds like I'm looking at machines, but no, just to elicit their, what they want. What is it that makes them tick? Where are they stuck paradoxically in how they show up every day? Cruel, kind, or both, and able to move between them. Um, and their one particular company in Vietnam, um, the CEO there has been very, very engaging and has seen the power of, of people. At the end of the day, most services are people. Um, we were running the leadership team. We've uh, done an engagement fulfillment type, type uh, interview and, and, well, I guess through the analytics and are working on what they find their strengths to be and just seen a, a business move from loss making to positive and I'm not going to talk with dollars. Um, it wouldn't be appropriate, but just amazing. And then also with the analytics, you can actually measure what people showed up as in the beginning you can do it through the middle and later on as well. So you can actually kind of start to measure how people are showing up behaviorally. And we know what behavior is it. You know, a doctor with no bedside manner is a doctor that's hardly going to show up, right? And we know those kind of doctors where they just fob you off and you just, you feel like nothing's come of it. But if a bedside manner of a doctor's up there, you're a happy, you're a happy camper. Same with people in different roles. Certain roles have behaviors that make those roles likely to be they're better at those roles because they have the right behaviors and fitting those people into what their behavioral kind of toolkit is very very powerful and this has happened so it's it's, it's cool you know bringing the right people on the boat making sure that they have the behaviors that accord with your culture because culture is a behavior at the end of the day it's a series of behaviors that say we're going to be team-like um what does that look like well we see team as helping each other supporting each other calling it out when someone's not doing it right that might be our definition of teamwork and so on and so on. But it can be measured. And, and the beauty is when you see that, you suddenly have this oh, lenses all over. It's, it's, it's very powerful. Very powerful. It brings it back to what can be measured, it can be managed. Yeah, I you know? agree. What, and the, what we're talking about here is a, a lot of soft skills, which innately can be hard to manage. But what you're saying here is you're bringing – what was the uh, analytic? Uh, uh, Harrison Assessments is the analytics yeah. tool, I guess. Well, you said at the start it was they brought me in for this type of analytics. I've, I've forgotten. Oh, predictive. Predictive, yeah. That's right. So predictive analytics essentially gives you a platform to measure soft skills. Correct, correct. Which, that's insane because it's, we, we all know now that it's the soft skills that make a good team. It's not the – you can get – whiz bang xyz best person in the world to come and work for your organization but if he doesn't fit with your team he's not going to perform that's, that's right so and, if, and if you knew which behaviors in fact were tripping them up and you could point them out to them because a lot of people not, don't realize that they may be blunt or or um you know potentially coming across as um permissive or whatever it is bringing that to their attention can change them one tiny degree of change there in a permissive person could change them into being, you know, authoritative, getting someone to get things done, making the other person feel like this person's capable of making a decision, completely game-changing. Mm. One tiny behavior. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. I, I didn't even know this. This is this, it's just a, a higher level of thinking. I mean, I, I read the books, the Simon Sinek's, the Jim Collins, the... I read about getting the right people on the bus, but if you can get the right people on the bus plus some predictive analytics, that's, that's very powerful. I think so. And I think with the world, as we say, going through this massive change, 
you've got to grasp it. You've got to kind of take the, the, the good with the bad. And um, some would say it's bad, but wives hear this. It's, it's inevitable. Mm. You know, computing power is going up, you know, just, just immeasurably. So we've got to leverage it and we've got to feel comfortable with that. And part of that is actually as leaders is, is making a few people feel comfortable with that. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a leader's role is to give them the comfort, to give them the purpose and, um, and, and to inspire. Mm. Do you believe that because um, there's different leadership styles and different people have different leadership styles, but do you think everybody in their own way can be a leader? Like it doesn't have to necessarily be someone with a leader in their title. Tim, everybody's a leader in some part of their world. Absolutely everybody. We all make decisions that change other people uh, or other people's course of direction, whether it be our, our, our kids, literally our dogs, making a decision around how they uh, literally are going to be fed. That's leading something. Um, it's just a question of, of, of how far you want to go. And not everyone wants to be a leader. Some people want to be a technician. Nothing wrong. We all start off as technicians, actually. Think about it. We all start off as a you know, doing our trade, whatever that is, you know, a marketer, a, a doctor. Um, to move from that, if that's what you want to do, to becoming a leader means you've got to get off the tools and you've actually got to look back at that and then inspire others who are on the tools. And that's, that's an art form, but it's also a choice because some people don't want to do that. They love being the artist. They love being the accountant. That's okay. We need everybody. Mm. How does someone make that transition from on the tools to lead effectively? I think the first one is the feeling. I think there's a feeling inherent in us of am I comfortable moving into the discomfort of leading? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. It come, it's a whole new toolkit. It's actually starting again. And not everybody's a start again person. Some people are mastery people. They want to master their craft. They're not interested in starting again to lead a whole lot of technicians. You know what I mean? And that's okay again. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of inclined to say that the leadership part is, is inherently something you choose. And, and yes, you mightn't have all the skills, but they can be learned because it's a behavioral thing. So if you choose to do it, I guess it's the mindset that goes with it. Everyone can be a leader, but not everyone wants to be a leader. And that's important. Mm. It's the, the, the three circles, you know. What am I passionate about? What am I good about? What am I passionate about? What am I good at? And, and show me the money, basically. Because if I'm not making money, um, it's a hobby. Those, and that's okay, too. Yeah, those three circles um, really changed my perspective and my thinking. I came across it my third year of my marketing degree. And I was coming out of it uh, out of a time where my listeners, listeners will know I go through depression. And, and I was coming out of a time where I was quite lost. Um, and I... Uh, didn't know what direction I was going to take. And then I was presented with these three circles where it was, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? And what can make you money? Yes. You know, a lot of people do the first two and forget about the money, but the money is important. We can't not have that conversation because my uncle told me about this, this business that I was starting and um, he said, you need to build at a good rate because if you don't build at a good rate, you can't help more people. And I was like, hang on, how does that work? Well, it works because if you're building at a good rate, then you're less stressed, you're more in tune, you're, you're providing for your family and your future and, and your goals, which everyone has the right to. 
Um, and, and, and that was a really powerful thing for me to realize. So getting these free circles, um, when, when, when did you, uh, first approach them and, and, and what was your results off the, off the back of? Wow. Now that, that's a great question. Cause in fact, I guess I coached sustainability energy management for nearly 20 years, um, going down a particular way of doing it, which is really telling people to be fair, telling people that, you know, the footprint which is how much energy are you using, you know, and, and measuring that there, and then the handprint, which is so. What does your product have in it? Um, that's that's the, the next measure. I then realised, well, hang on a second. In order to get people to really buy into this, I've I've actually got to tap into them. So the the EQ EQ thing. Um, so I got I got a coach. I got stuck, and that was that was it was a catalyst for me. I got a coach. Um, loved it, loved it, loved it because I was learning. I was I had someone. Um, who actually got me, you know, consistently working on trying to improve rather than just being stuck and, you know, I've been here for 20 years, I know everything, to I've been here 20 years, there's a bucket load more to learn and there's a bucket load more influence and impact to make on this world. And by the way, the segue there is the fourth circle. Um, the Japanese talk about the ikigai, and this is not to one-up you, Tim, it's not at all, no. this is an aha moment for me. So those three circles, very, very, very powerful. The fourth one, though, is, and what are you doing for the planet? That was my aha moment, because I was doing the footprint thing, doing the handprint, but seemingly, the, the, but, but I watched Australia still, and we're still there, carbon tax, or a carbon cost, or some some impact of, of, um, of what we're doing, and having to to, to be aware of that through, say, a monetary um, disincentive has been around since 2005. We had one of the leading schemes. It's gone now and we've done nothing for 15 mm-hmm. years type of a thing. It's just, you know, and it's become an ideological tug of war. No bipartisanship. And I see that as a complete failure of leadership in Australia, complete failure, um, to the point where that fourth circle became so important to me. And the Japanese call that ikigai. And the ikigai is the purpose for life. And that's a beautiful picture because it says, well, we actually, not only do we have to have what we're good at working together with what we're passionate about with the money, but the planet's got to be in accordance with it as well. And if it isn't, then fundamentally, it's not going to be in that sweet spot in the middle and something's not going to be right. And tell me, Tim, do you think something's not right at the moment? Oh, I think uh, oh, the way the leadership, um, you know, I don't want to make a political statement, but... Um, there were some moves there that were just wrong, you know, in the last the bushfire crisis and, um, you know, forcing people to shake your hand when they don't want to without actually communicating. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on their side, not in that. I'm I, like, I vote with, with liberal. Um, but that for me was just disgraceful. Um, poor leadership. Yeah. And look, and it's hard. Like I can, I can see both. Imagine being, imagine being a leader in in crisis. Um, very hard. Yes. But, but there's things that we know through leadership, management, culture, and and change that we can do. So, so look, I, I think again, I want to be careful. Don't want to make a political statement, but mm. um, it's just there's things you can do, and there's things that that weren't done that were just plain obvious from a leadership point of view. Yeah, look, I, I think um, you asked me at the beginning of the discussion, you said you used the word fear and fight and flight 
you know, the, the wonderful psychological phenomenon we all go through when we get put in a incredible stress or, or duress. Um, it is inherent in us if we don't have our act together to, to kind of go into meltdown, you know, oh, and, and throw our toys out the cot, so to speak, or, or whatever it is. That's the fight or flight response, which in fact is something I, I spend a lot of time with leaders on as well. And that is what happens to you under pressure? Because it's actually under pressure that a leader really shows up. Um, because that's when the fight or flight happens. Now, I put it to you that that particular handshake incident was a fight, a fight or flight response. A hell of a lot going on. Um, I don't think anyone really understands how tough it is to be a politician. Um, and we, we can all point fingers. And mm, you know, the whole very story, easy. Point fingers and very three easy. fingers. The one points out, three point back at you. And I guess I've got to remember it. You've got to see it from the other person's perspective always. Yes, we put them in power. Yes, we voted them in, but they're human after all. Mm. And there's a calamitous thing going on at the moment. So yes, great leaders would stand up perfectly every time. Um, greater leaders would recognize the mistake and never do it again, or maybe make the mistake again. But the point is, uh, it's a learning thing for everybody. And yeah, I, I agree. It wasn't, it wasn't his greatest moment, mm. you know, I, I, but it happened. And, and I guess it's, it's about trying to preempt that. I, um, I might be a bit cheeky here, but uh, if anyone's listening on, I would, I'd love to have uh, ScoMo come on and, and give him a platform to talk about that actually. If um, leadership, I'd, I'd, I'd happily fly up or drive up to Canberra. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? I, I, what, what, a, what an invite, Tim. Mm. We, we should try and work that one. Yeah. In fact, I, I think um, that, that's, that's a, what a great ambition to yep. have. <laughs> yep, set the bar as set high the as, bar you as, as, as you can and, and let's work on it. And I'll, I'll help you. Thank you. I'll do what I can. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do much, but I'm going to have a damn good Well, point. Let's yeah. see what we can do. Let's do it. Um, I think that's a really awesome spot to leave it on. Um, but I've got two more questions. Um, my, my first one here is what is coming up for you in the next sort of six months, 12 months that you're really excited about um, that I can check in as well and be like, hey, how's that going? Tim, for me, my, my realisation um, is, is analytics is big. Uh, it, it opens the door to so much coaching, to so much change, to so much dealing with things. Um, my focus is going to move a little bit away from, I, I will keep, continue to coach, but to try and get these, these um, solutions into businesses. They, they're cost effective. They're hugely changing uh, in, in their impact. And, you know, I've, seen, I've witnessed it. I'm, I, I can speak with some authority on this and, and I've watched it change things. So I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to give people the tools. Yeah, definitely. And um, look, if someone's heard something across this episode and they want to reach out to yourself, um, book in a time, a strategy session, download an ebook that you have or, an, or, or material, um, just get in touch with you. How, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, Tim, thank you. Um, I, I guess the company that, that would be distributing this, this technology and, and I guess working with companies on this is, is YQ2 mm. and why Simon Sinek, why? Q2, the second quartile, so it's a Q, letter Q2, um, working on the business. Q2 is the Eisenhower matrix, or Stephen Covey would say, the second. So it's purposefully working on why, or leadership in my case, because that's the why. yq2.com.au, build that, yq2.com.au. Thank you for asking. No, um, and I'll put a link to that in the comment description as well. But Bill, um, Thank you for coming on. I've been Tim, you've been Bill, we've been talking, and uh, thank you. My absolute privilege and pleasure. Thank you, Tim.
All right, there you have it, the episode with Bill McClellan. If you want to reach out to him, you can get him at YQ2. And then on LinkedIn, his name is Bill McClellan, Bill M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N. If you're inspired by what he says, reach out and have a conversation. Now, if you're listening along, I'd love for you to like and subscribe to the podcast so you get updates. If you're also listening along and you're at home sitting down, can you please take a screenshot, put it on your story, tag Bean Talking in it, and then I'll feature you on my channel as well. So it's a really cool way to see who's listening along. I'll also love to talk to you a little bit more about podcast production. So if you're listening along and you're going, man, I wish I could start my own show. I really love the content that I can create on the back end. You're seeing all of my snippets. If you really, really want to have this for your own business, that's a service that I would love to talk to you about and provide to you. So you can send me an email at tim at beantalking.com.au. That's B-E-A-N talking.com.au. And apart from that, I'll see you guys in the next episode.